Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kurt Damon. Hi, everybody. It's Ben from Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy. We are going to do a quick rewind episode here to um, summarize our prior discussion of the uh, likeness rights slash publicity rights issues that have come up in the wake of these changes uh, regarding uh, uh, college athletics. And I know um, it, it's odd. This is a geek podcast, and we don't usually think of sports as being part of geek culture. But uh, for some reason, these topics uh, have been really popular. So we're going to do a rewind episode here that uh, covers the first episode we did on this, kind of going over the lawsuits that at that time had already been resolved, uh, what the issues were and how they came out. And then I'm going to follow that up with a, a shorter segment from our grab bag episode where we revisited the topic in the wake of California's enactment of name, image, and likeness regulations for college athletes. Uh, so if you don't if you don't care for the sports topics, you can safely skip this episode. You're not missing anything. And if you do like them, um, then uh, you know enjoy. Well, anyway, so today's topic uh, is going to be a little different. We're going to talk mostly about rights of publicity, and we're also going to get into a subject I don't think we've ever discussed before, which is price fixing. <laughs> yeah, it's an antitrust concept. Yeah, antitrust, and the 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 you know the lens through which we're going to examine this is um, a video game. Happens to be a, a sports video game, but don't don't let that turn you off if you're not into sports. Because uh, I, I am into sports, and I have never, ever played any of these games. Yep. Uh, I've seen them. I know what they're about. But actually, take that back. I've played the NHL version uh, okay. a couple years ago. But uh, so uh, I believe I played some NASCAR versions. Yeah, probably. Um, so the the background of the game is from, you know, starting in 1993. I'm sure you've all seen the EA uh, games. The Madden game comes out every year. There's an NBA 2018. Yep. There's a, I mean, they even use it to predict the football outcome. You know, they, they have do. the computer play the computer yeah. and see what the football predicts for the Super Bowl outcome. Yeah, they'll put the AIs in charge of it and just see who, who, who wins each year to yeah. compare that to the actual outcome. So these are very famous. I'm sure you see the ads. I don't want the uh, EA, it's in the game. I don't know if that's what they do now. What's what they, <laughs> used, to what they used to do. That's not um, trademark infringement, was it? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> nominal fair use. Um, so they started making uh, an NCAA version of this in 1993 that used the college football teams that everybody uh, knows and loves. And the game allowed players to be the, you know their alma mater or whatever team they wanted. There's all kinds of different modes. And one of the things that these this whole line of games really tries to capture is accuracy. They want it to really look and feel like the experience of coaching these teams or playing on these teams. I mean, just like uh, to some extent, uh, like a, a, an online RPG would, you want to really feel like you're stepping into this world. Yeah. You know, just for a little bit. It, it, it's escapism just like all the rest of the escapism that we really <laughs> yeah. like. It's Dungeons and Dragons for sports fans. Yes. Um, and so, but the, one of the problems with NCAA is that, um, you know, college athletes have this amateurism principle. They can't be compensated for, um, you know, for, for the, the use of their names and likenesses. So, yeah. and, and they get in trouble for that. It can render them ineligible for their scholarships or to play and so forth. So... To, to sort of get around this, EA would include the players in the game. So let's say we had our uh, EA, uh, you know, NCAA football game from you know, 2010. Yep. Well, then all the teams that were eligible for Division One football in 2010 are there, and the or players, at least all the ones anybody cares about yeah, to play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, the players, uh, the jerseys are accurate and correct. The logos are correct. That information is all licensed from the universities through a collegiate licensing collective. I have the name in here somewhere. Collegiate Licensing Corporation is the mass rights. It's sort of like an ASCAP for college uh, licensing. Licensing. 
Uh, so, you know, they, the stadiums look the same, the cities look the same, they sort of like mimic like it's a broadcast, and uh, the, the rosters are the same. So if you've got, you know, 87 players, then those numbers are all uh, in the game for that year, and it's got biographic information about each quote-unquote player, although there's no name, it just says, you know, player number 77. Yep. But the player's height, weight, skin tone, appearance, build, all that matches whoever wore, you know, number 77 for that team for that year. Down to the point where EA would actually send surveys to equipment managers for teams asking what type of equipment each player wore, what style of face mask that can make it all as accurate as possible. And, as we'd expect, Kirk, someone got paid for all this. Yeah. The schools. <laughs> the schools. The licensing collective. I think it's also important to note, and one of the things you mentioned, it wasn't just the equipment that they wore. They did also get basic, you know, demographic information about the players themselves. Yeah. Height, weight, uh, hometown. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's not that they're just focused on equipment at this point in time. Now, obviously, you know, they, they've, when you think of specifically football, most of what you're going to see is equipment. You mm-hmm. know, that's the thing with it. But obviously, you know, there's a number of distinctive football players you know where you know like how they wear their hair is visible facial features facial features eye stuff color, like that yep. a facial hair uh, yeah yeah it was it was it was pretty faithful but but the names were not there uh, but one feature the game did have is you could download rosters from online you could also update the names of the players in the game once you bought it and Give you can export yeah you can export the roster online so you know what happens every year somebody goes in to their favorite team and just adds all the correct names exports the roster puts it on a sharing website everybody downloads it and voila we've you know we've all kind of worked around the issue aren't we so clever <laughs> exactly well <laughs> We were so clever for a long time. <laughs> this this worked for 20 years until in 2013, uh, two players, uh, the, the main plaintiffs were named Ed O'Bannon and Sam Keller. O'Bannon was actually not a football player, uh, was a UCLA basketball player. Uh, and um, uh, Keller was in a former Arizona State, I think Nebraska player. Um, anyway, there, so there was a college uh, basketball version too of this. Which I don't think was nearly as successful, but it had all the same issues. Yeah. But I mean, there's, there's every sport basically has these. I yeah. mean, there's there's amateur versions, there's college versions of them, and there's professional versions of virtually every sport. Like I, I comment about, you know, I played the, the NASCAR version for car racing. So mm-hmm. the issues are a little simpler there, I think, because it's 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 professional. It's easier to get yeah, like a license from NASCAR. And that's so. that's a key thing to keep in mind with this is that EA also puts out professional games, you know, based yep. upon the professional sports. There, there are specific organizations, maybe yeah. the players' union, that is licensing players' likenesses, everything on those lines. So, like, none of the issues we're going to talk about in this basically exist when it comes to the professional games because there, there's an organization that yeah. basically says they can be paid for this, they yep. are paid for it, it is a job, um, and therefore, sort of, this whole thing goes away. One of the real keys about this is this is for amateur players, for yep. players that are in college where there's a very particular requirement that they can't be paid. Yeah, and that's going to wind up being the nut of, of all of this is, is the NCAA's involvement in this. Um, so anyway, uh, O'Bannon and Keller filed a class action lawsuit against the NCAA itself, against EA, and also against the Collegiate Licensing Organization for using their likenesses without permission and saying it was a violation of the right of publicity. At this point, we should probably explain what is a right of publicity and why yeah, do we have it? We talked about it a little bit previously in conjunction with this, but the right of publicity is basically that sort of every person, now it's primarily important for famous people, but it does actually apply for every person. Every person has essentially the right to not be misrepresented yeah. as themselves. It's so, to control the commercial use of your personality, yeah. your identity, your appearance. Yeah, the commercial use of it. So the example would be is it's um, if you're going to go out and you know somebody's going to say, hey, you know, it turns out Ben Siders really, really loves this brand of toilet paper. Mm-hmm. 
he's got to be compensated for that, you know, even because the idea behind it is, is my that licensing you can't fees just, are substantial. <laughs> yeah, you can't just say that, even if it's true, you can't just say that because it's commercial use of, of you know, my co-host's personality mm-hmm. in a way he didn't approve of. And so it's kind of this idea that says, hey, I get to approve of somebody using it. The example I always use is right of publicity, and I actually think it's one of the, the, the basis of rights of publicity, even though it's not directly publicity. If you ever encounter products which are sold in England, a lot of times one of the things you'll encounter is a number of them have the royal crest on them, and they say by her, by the order of Her Majesty the Queen, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, that this is something which is served, um, you know, at various royal functions. You're not allowed to put that on unless it's true, and basically it's only true if the queen tells you it's true. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's a, a little bit of sort of the core of rights of publicity, but this is much more saying, as opposed to it being a crest or a representation or a trademark, the person has the right of publicity in themselves. And what that usually comes down to is what is themselves, and most commonly what it's associated with is their name. Usually, yeah. Usually their name um, is what it is, something to identify them. We talk a lot of times, in, and you encounter it in other areas of law, you encounter it in HIPAA and healthcare, you encounter it in, in the new sort of, you know, data protection acts. There's a lot of this idea of identifying information. Yep. And the vast majority of people, when they say identifying information, the name is obvious. Yep. A name is an obvious piece of identifying information. But it can also just be sort of invoking your general personality and identity. And the classic example is the Vanna White robot commercial. Yeah. Um, yeah, and what you basically bump into in conjunction with that is the idea that sort of says, hey, some people, and, and again, a lot of times when you're talking about these, you're talking about famous people because they're recognized, almost recognized as archetypes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is, you know, Vanna White in, the, in, in turning the letters of Wheel of Fortune was so well known that even for, that. The, for that that even making something which you know is a robot designed to turn these figures could eventually violate a right of publicity even though it's clearly not her it's clearly intended to be her yeah um, whether as a parody or whether as as a sort of direct representation you're invoking her you want people who look her. at that to think of her yeah and 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 maybe it's the juxtaposition of of the, the blonde android you know that makes it interesting or funny but the bottom line is you're talking about Vanna White whether you use her name or even her picture or yeah not. and there's a lot of stuff in life to publicity that basically and, and again a lot of the thing with rights to publicity is to basically say like I should be able to say that I shouldn't be associated with something I don't mm-hmm. necessarily want to be associated with a product I don't want to be associated with you know if you want me to be associated with your product I have to sign up for it and agree now some p- parties may very well be willing to sign up for anything yeah. but I others are definitely going to be more controlling <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, uh, but yeah I think a lot of people are going to be more controlling they're going to say hey I don't want to be mm-hmm. associated with this product I don't care how much you're going to pay me I'm not going to sponsor your product we should I don't also like say it. it's election day as we're recording this today yes um, so there are some exceptions to this rule, though, for people who are famous and particularly famous in politics. There is a First Amendment limitation to the right of publicity, which is why every political pack commercial you've ever seen always shows the the evil candidate yeah. in, in slow motion, black and white, grainy footage, uh, <laughs> accompanied by dark, slow violin music, and then followed by the bright, happy color footage of the candidate you're supposed to like walking upright and not slouched over. Do you see how you're being manipulated, people? Um, um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I think the thing about it is, is it's a lot of what's referred to as the newsworthy exception. Yes. Um, and so basically there, there's a recognition. It's a public interest exception. Yeah, there's a public interest that, you know, anybody who is newsworthy, we yeah. need to be able to provide news without compensating them. Because obviously otherwise, you know, we, we would have far more fake news uh, yeah. than we definitely today, regardless <laughs> of how much fake news you think there is today. It's almost like a fair use type analysis, basically. It's it, like the Republic won't function if we can't do yeah, this. It kind of is. I mean, I think the real behind it is, and the idea behind the newsworthy is, 
you can't, you shouldn't be able to stop. You know, the, a lot of the idea behind right of publicity is that I can stop you from associating me with something I don't want to be associated with. But if my being associated with that is newsworthy and something people know about, I shouldn't mm. be able to stop that. Particularly if I'm just showing things that actually happened. You yeah. know? Assuming I can get a copyright to the actual footage of it, uh, the people that happen to be in it, if I'm doing it for news reporting type purposes yep. to convey factual information or educational information to people, it, it seems like a pretty clear public policy interest. Yep. And yep, we should be able to do And this. something we're not going to get into in this show, but it's, it's worth reporting. Yeah, especially if you get Charla back in here, she does a, a great example in conjunction with it. There's a lot of problems right now in right of publicity associated with social media. Mm-hmm. And literally that, what is newsworthy, sort of what is not newsworthy, um, you know, when a celebrity gets a candid photo taken and what is shown in that photo suddenly becomes valuable to somebody. Particularly when and, what they're doing is not a matter of public interest. Like, or, yeah. or maybe in your, you and me, our reckoning, should not be. Like, there was one case, we'll have Charlie talk about it, where an actress walked out of a pharmacy, like, wearing sunglasses, not dressed to attract any attention, you know, try, trying to just go about her everyday business with a couple of bags of goods, and some paparazzi took a picture of her and put it online. Yep. You know, well... Well, she happens to have a, a, a you know a promotional deal with a different pharmacy, so all of a sudden it is a matter of public interest that she's got a deal with pharmacy A and she's shopping at pharmacy B, or or is it? And or, that's or I think it? the yeah. thing you sort of bump into, and you know again I think this is a just a little bit of preview when we get Charlotte back in here again to talk about. These are thorny issues oh, today, Dan. <laughs> um, you know, right publicity used to be relatively easy. Nobody cares. No, well, nobody cared, but it was also right publicity was very confined. Yeah. You know, is it a TV ad? Is it a radio ad? Is it a newspaper ad? If it's none of these things, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, and <laughs> you also had somebody that was that served a filtering or screening function. Yeah. You know, is, does it go in the paper or not? Well, we're going to talk to the photographer. We're going to get clearances. We're going to you know make sure that it, it it meets the newsworthiness and, and it's the kind of thing that we would put in a newspaper with limited print space. Yeah, but on the internet, there's infinite. Print space. You yeah. can dump as much garbage as you want out there. Yeah, and so I think that's the thing. And so, it's, again, I think that, you know, from our point of view and sort of, you know, with this topic, there is a newsworthiness exception here, which is an example of just to use a simple example of things like the NCAA. Obviously, you can show in a news report, a sport, in a sports yeah. segment of a news report, here's the highlight from the film yeah. that obviously shows a player scoring a can, touchdown, yeah. and it's obvious which player it is. You can use their names. You can talk <laughs> about what happened. They threw 14 passes. They completed 12. I'm obviously talking about Iowa since nobody can, nobody throws a pass in the Iowa games. Um, No, but I mean, you you can report what actually happened during the game because it's news about an entertainment event. That's fine. You can do that. But this was not that. This this was a video game, which is not the actual people doing this. Uh, And that's what the court said. Um, The uh, EA argued that they had a First Amendment right to use the likenesses in this way, and the Ninth Circuit did not buy it. They said, no, no. the similarities between the players and their game avatars was sufficient for the players to have rights of publicity in the avatars used by EA, that the changes were minimal, uh, they were given the exact same context as their real-life counterparts, down to the equipment that they wore and where they're from, and so uh, you know, EA lost. And there was a settlement uh, of the class action for $60 million, of which uh, each player involved got about $1,200, which, you know, that's not bad. Yeah, you know, considering how many copies were sold, you know, and they didn't have to do anything that weren't already doing. Uh, so each player got twelve hundred hours, but there was twenty nine thousand <laughs> athletes that were involved in, and protected by this. And then, of course, the attorneys got their their fair share, which was uh, eighteen point eight million. Seems fair. Yeah, of course, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, so it's <laughs> a result. Can you tell which side of this are? We are not the sports stars. We are the attorneys. Yeah, that's class action bar. Um, so as a result of this uh, case, EA could not make the games unless they paid the players for their likeness rights. Seems fair, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean that's well, and that seems to be the outcome of what we expect from this. Is that you know, hey, yes, these are clearly these. 
players. Yeah. You know, yes, they weren't using the names, but they were using pretty much everything else. Is are they identifiable? Of course they are. Yeah. You know, yeah, this it seems like this would be the logical place that you would go in, in likeness rights. EA agreed. They said several times they'd, they'd pay the players, especially at the rate that was calculated and as well as these games sold. Uh, I mean, if you don't know, college football is a big deal, even bigger now than it was back when this went on. It's a yeah. huge moneymaker, uh, more so every year. So EA said, sure, we'll pay them. Um, you know, we'll, and then, then we can actually add their names. It makes the game even more accurate. So, yep. yeah, it sounds great. Uh, but there's a problem. Yep. <laughs> and that's, NCAA. I, there's the rub. NCAA said, no, you, you, can't, uh, you can't do that because uh, if the players make any money during school from their identity rights or they're otherwise paid in connection with their performance on collegiate sports teams, then, um, then they're no longer eligible to play at all. They it's lose their scholarships. NCAA rules. Yep, they're, they're out. So... And yeah, this is this is you know as I just said, I, there's the rub. Um, what we're bumping into here is you know if this would have been professional athletes and we would have reached this point, you know, with it, they would have paid the professional athletes whatever their asking rate was via the the athletes union, and this would be over. The problem with it is is that what you bumped into is EA Sports was now told in order to use this you have to pay them, and then on the other from the organization on the other and side the said don't get you paid. can't pay them. <laughs> yeah. And the issue with it is is it's not that EA violates any rules by paying them; it's that the player violates yeah. the rule by taking them. I mean, EA could have gone around the NCAA entirely and said, fine, we're not going to license from you. We'll just go directly to every one of these football players. I mean, there's probably 1,000 or 2,000 uh, Division One well, players. There's 29,000, according well, to the but Well, that's over the course <laughs> of the whole time. You know, for football, there's 120-some Division One teams, and each one's probably got 100 players, scholarship, and walk-on. Yep. So do the math. You're talking 10,000 players. Like, it, it would be a hassle, but you could go do that. Uh, but the problem is the players can't accept the money because then they, they lose their scholarship. Yep. So, so EA uh, canceled the game. Weirdly, though, this was not the end of it. Yeah, and again, I think the, the, the fun thing to hear, and it's the thing I would really sort of point out in here, because I think it's a valuable thing to keep in mind, is EA canceled the game because they couldn't get the rights they needed, which they were completely and totally willing to pay market rates for. And this is this is the United States and law under and law to do. I mean, the yeah. NCAA is not the government; they have no legislative authority over yeah. anybody. All they can do is set the conditions under which you are eligible to participate in NCAA athletics. Yeah. But since that's where all the money is, you know, <laughs> you don't have much choice. So we, we literally have an organization here that is is ready and willing to pay market rates for what it's what it, it wishes to acquire, and players who are willing to accept, and players who are willing to accept, presumably, and an organization sitting in the middle, which is the NCAA, saying we can't have this trend. Transaction. And again, I think one of the things we really want to hit on in this, the NCAA is not the government. No. This is not a government a organization, organization saying you can't do this. The government of the United States has said this transaction is completely allowed. The court has even said this is the transaction that's supposed to happen. The NCAA is a private organization, but what the NCAA basically does is say it's NCAA sports. There is a sports it's, it's organization. It's a standard setting it's body standard for how these body. athletic competitions are going to you know, be done with uh, with college athletics. Yep. Yeah. So what we have in this situation is basically willing buyer, willing seller, uh, which is enough as a music modernization act, you know, sort of, you know, <laughs> re- reference here to coming back in. We have willing buyer, willing seller, but we essentially have an organization sitting in the middle, which is a private organization. And that takes us to our next piece of this case. So O'Bannon wasn't done yet. Uh, he then filed another lawsuit, another class action, saying that the NCAA's refusal to let the players license their identities was a violation of federal antitrust laws, the Sherman Act. Yep. Um, 
So this is an interesting theory because normally, normally the antitrust laws uh, hold that there's two parts to it. One is is the traditional Teddy Roosevelt trust busting thing where you can't have two companies get together and engage in price fixing, yep. uh, which is a variation of this. This is a situation where they said the NCAA essentially is a monopoly over college athletics and it has arbitrarily price fixed the value of collegiate players' uh, likenesses at zero dollars. Yep. Now, the other thing I think to keep in mind in conjunction with this is the NCAA is also not a union. No. Um, so we look at this and say, hey, we've got the NFL. We've got you know sort of all the aspects in the NFL. There is a universal organization which holds all the rights to the mm-hmm. players, likenesses, et cetera, in, in conjunction with the NFL. But that's a player's union, and that's acceptable because they, they've gone through all the various laws they have to be in order to be that. Mm-hmm. The NCAA isn't this. And I think that's where we're seeing this case now comes from. We've got this organization that sort of says, hey, there's all this, these ways that this can be done within the law mm-hmm. that are well-established, that are long-running. It just so happens that in this situation, none of them apply. Yeah, and, and in the NCAA case, uh, I keep saying blurring AA together. I don't, I've heard people say NC2A, NCAA, NC whatever. NCAA yeah, is common. <laughs> I just say NCAA. Um, yeah, so uh, what's interesting is that the NCAA, I mean, it, it is, as it says, the National Collegiate Athletic Association. I think that's what it stands for. Yep. But it's, it's kind of like the NFL. The NFL is a league of, of team owners, essentially, who agree to compete in a certain way. The NCAA is the same thing for universities. And the court in this case agreed that through the NCAA, the member universities had collectively agreed to a price-fixing scheme as to the value of the likenesses of players playing sports for them. Uh, The court found that the players had a market, obviously, for their identities, and that it was being uh, improperly restricted, uh, and that there were less restrictive alternatives to satisfy um, uh, what the NCAA wanted to do. So the, the district court, the trial court, um, ordered that the scholarships be raised to cover the actual cost of attendance uh, to the schools and to pay the players $5,000 per year in deferred compensation. Now, that last piece was removed later. Those of you who are sports fans will say, wait a minute, the players aren't getting paid. No, they're not. The Ninth Circuit um, upheld the finding that the NCAA was engaged in anti-competitive activity, and they upheld the cost of attendance requirement, but they reversed the $5,000 per year stipend as excessive and, and unnecessary and found that it was not uh, not not as effective as, at preserving amateurism as not allowing compensation. So that part was thrown out. So we're left in a, in a, in a quagmire now. Um, yeah. You know, EA anybody else can't really make a game that really uses the teams as they are each year unless they pay these players who would be happy to get paid, I'm sure. Um, and um, you know, the players are getting a little bit of a better deal, I, I guess. They're getting more through their scholarships now, but yep. not everybody's on a scholarship. You have plenty of walk-ons, and they're usually want, going to be included in a game like this, too. Uh, and so there's really no way for this game to get made right now. Um, and this this resulted in the immediate aftermath in a lot of criticism of the NCAA. And there was for a couple years, because I follow this stuff um, relatively closely as a sports fan, uh, quite a bit of talk of, well, the day is coming when the players are going to start getting paid. Uh, but what, you know, the, what really holds that back is you can't just pay the football players. you got to pay everybody. Yeah. Uh, we have Title IX, and you can't you know, prefer football or basketball over volleyball or anything else, yep. and you can't prefer men's sports over women's sports. So whatever dollar amount they decide they get to, they're going to pay football players, they're, they, they're all but required to pay the same amount to everybody. Yeah, and, and I think that what we're what we're really bumping into is, you know, at least when it comes to and we're, I think for you know any of our, our foreign audience, when we're talking about football here. We're obviously talking about American football. Yeah, and um, you know, but 
you know, what we're what we're really seeing is American football at the college level, American basketball at the college level is on par in popularity with their professional counterparts, which is not true of essentially any other sport. I think professional baseball is vastly more popular than the college version is. Professional yeah. hockey is much more popular than the There's the virtually no market is. for college hockey. Yeah, there's virtually no market for I mean, college hockey. I outside the players and their family and a couple yeah. of dedicated fans. And so what, you're, what you really bump into is you get these huge markets for certain sports, but at the same time, you've got to kind of make the rules for whatever this is going to be across all sports to have it a fair playing field. You also have far more amateur sports than you have professional sports. You know, I mean, you're going to have NCAA rules when it comes to things like swimming at the college yeah. level, which is, you know, arguably accepted probably the very, very highest level, not professional, and mm-hmm. even there probably isn't. Well, in college, you've got you've got golf, you've got lacrosse, men and women's field hockey. Yep. Uh, I'm from Iowa, so wrestling's a big deal. Uh, you know, tennis. I mean, there's a lot of sports, and you know, this also plays out differently from school to school. So, you know, Iowa, my alma mater, has uh, a decent number of sports. I don't know how many, but there's probably 12 to 14 men's and women's uh, sports. But, you know, other schools don't do that. If you get to, like, a lot of the schools in the South that are more football-centric, they may only have, you know, a half dozen sports uh, for men and women, which means all the money can be funneled into football. So they can afford to pay this because they have fewer athletes on scholarship than, you know, than, than you know, a small public session, a small, yeah. a relatively uh, lightly funded public school like Iowa. And I think we can also jump on this, and we can also look at it and say, I think, you know, this is part of the reason the NCAA is so very defensive of the amateurism mm-hmm. position is when you look at it and you say, hey, yes, there are these huge numbers of sports. Sports is a big learning activity at colleges, many of whom are not making football teams that make it onto national TV. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't go to a you know, Division One school, so it's one of those <laughs> things where it's very easy for me to look at it and say, nobody cares who's on our You're football team. You're the classic team. small liberal arts college guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things that happens. But, you know, it's it's the kind of thing where you look at it and, you know, you sort of you, you come to these things. With it. It's the NCAA coming in and saying, you've got maybe 20 or 30 schools which this is hugely important which mm-hmm. there's vast amounts of money in and the rest of all college athletes are really sort of not in this yeah. we can't be catering towards those you know 30 or whatever it is 30 schools or whatever that number is. You want the tail to wag the dog. Yeah. Although in this case, it's more like the head wagging the dog, I guess. Because, I mean, the, the so these sports are, are big revenue generators. Yeah. I mean, even at, even at a school like Iowa, which is not historically an awesome program, uh, still the, the football program alone pays for itself and every other sport on campus. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a big deal and there's a lot of money at stake. And that's the thing with it is we're looking at there is a huge amount of money in this you know, deal as to you know, whatever it might be. And how do you deal with the fact that we have this huge amount of money in a very small percentage of, you know, these sports. And our our goal of these sports is not supposed to be that these are for-profit, but they have become so. And I think that's the the question we're really wrestling with here, and it's not a question in some sense a legal question. It's almost a a moral question that we sort of bump into. It's a kind of policy question. is Is this game not being made because of the fact that we really do want to say it shouldn't be. As yeah. much as we can look at it and say there's a demand for it, that you know people want this because they, they you know, this is a, prof- a semi-professional organization, we really looked at it and say, you know, yeah, this game can't be made, and the reason this game can't be made is because it shouldn't be made. And this this issue is kind of unique to to American college football because I think it used to apply to basketball too, but probably doesn't so much anymore because so many kids just go straight from high school to the NBA now or, or only play one year in basketball and get out. Yeah, but the NFL 
rules require you to play, in most instances, two years at least of college football or an equivalent before you're eligible for the NFL draft. Yep. So the American college system is effectively the farm league for the NFL. And so you have this amateurism rule and all these lines. Uh, there's so much money involved. It just it, it seems like those things are not accidents that they happen together. And this this issue right now is – you know, seems to be unique to sports, but I don't think it's going to stay that way. No, it's it's going. I mean, it kind of already has bled out into other areas. We we talked, I think, in one of our episodes about a Blizzard employee who recorded a, a Murloc sound for a, a Blizzard game. Yep. And after she left, she later, I think, filed a lawsuit or sought some sort of compensation for the use of her likeness. That was the right, right publicity. Yeah, the right suit. publicity case in 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 the recording of that Murloc sound. And as games increasingly use, uh, you know, live action actors or motion capture, you know, I you I could show you a movie that just has the motion capture of two different actors walking with like a wireframe, and I, I think uh, I think for certain actors, you would be able to tell who generated the motion capture just based on how they walk. Yeah, there's definitely I mean some nature of what that you know what that is, and you know so much of it now is also even for facial actors doing mm-hmm. animation things like that. This is an area that's bleeding out of sports. We're, we're looking at the idea of now saying, hey, you've, you've got rights of publicity stuff where people can potentially be identified. And, and we're also seeing it in data protection. We're seeing it, we're seeing right of publicity sort of becoming a more important thing of the idea that says, you need to have a right in your identity, I guess mm-hmm. is the, the best way to put it. And somebody shouldn't be able to take your identity from you, shouldn't be able to do it. I mean, we talk about identity theft, you know, that sort of, you know, being a, a, a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we what I think we're really seeing in this is stuff like how does this bleed over? And it's it's not a new problem. You definitely had this. I mean, you have issues with like model releases, you know, going back 50 years yeah. where, you know, a model would allow pictures to be taken for use in certain companies' advertising. You know, it may have been a limited license to how they could be used, what they could be used for. Back before they're famous, they become famous. Those pictures get sold to somebody else, get used in somebody else's advertising, and suddenly you end up with this kind of thing. And it's well, but that's what the contract said could happen. But again, it never would have happened except for the fact that the underlying person became famous. It's kind of a version of the song issue we talked about before, where you record or make some little some little ditty, and then yep. it winds up going viral, and all of a sudden it's worth a ton. But since you didn't paper the record over in the first place with adequate documentation, yep. you know, and there's an economic inefficiency there. I mean, you're not going to go and you know draft these contracts for every last thing you yep. do. And amateur yeah, and amateur isn't becoming an issue. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely is. Um and, and the reason I used to sort of amateur becoming is let's just talk about the music thing and the concept of YouTube. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have artists who have made their names. I mean, you just throw, throw it out there, Kane Brown, um, in the country world, who's basically made his name as a YouTube artist and is now an extremely successful recording, you know, professional recording artist. Where you kind of look at it and say, he started off as an amateur. When did he cross over? Yeah. And so if we look at this and say there's a you know there's an amateurism type of thing, we kind of look at this and say, yes, we want to protect amateurism. We want to let people sort of do this thing without it being paid, without it being compensated, without them having to be good at it, so to speak. <laughs> I mean, and sometimes that's, that's what makes it entertaining. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes that's the purpose of amateurism is to really say, hey, yes, you should be allowed to play football, even if you're no good at it. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's sort of the, the B movie version of, of sports. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we've really got that. I think it's it's one of these things you're really seeing becoming a big issue. And that's part of the reason I think we wanted to talk about it in this episode is I think right of publicity and sort of right and identity is in something that's coming more and more important. Something we may very well touch on again later on this season, but we're really seeing in law right now mm-hmm. this concept of ownership of yourself 
becoming a valuable thing and becoming a much more important thing and the law struggling with how do we deal with this? It really has been a struggle. When I was in law school, I did a summer doing research for one of my law professors, uh, Neil Richards at WashU, who was really into data privacy issues and really on, on the cutting edge of this stuff. And there's a, you know, at the time he was drafting a paper on it and we were doing a lot of research into different conceptions of, of, of the, the legal sort of analytical framework for ownership of data about yourself. So you've got your personality is one thing, but what about all these data profiles that these companies develop of us uh, based on our online behavior? They don't know who we are. We're just some number in a database. I mean, that's an identity, I suppose, but it's not a personally identifiable. I, I can't trace that back and say, this is Ben well, Cyrus. <laughs> or, or, you know, maybe they can in Cambridge. Um, yeah, so I mean, th- this issue is coming up uh, more and more, and we're not really sure how to deal with it. You know, U- Europe's kind of on the on the leading edge of this with GDPR. I've got my complaints and criticisms about how exactly they've done that, but they're they, they are doing something that can't be denied. Um, and and along these lines, is this is the same line drawing exercise with professionals versus amateurs going to creep up in other places? So I'm thinking of things like. Um, you know, setting aside regular sports, esports. We have yep. other things where you, you know, athletics are different because the the level of physical investment and natural talent required to participate competitively, even at low collegiate levels, is a thousand times more athletic, you know, potential than than this room has collectively. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, neither Kirk nor I are going to play any college athletics, but we both play Hearthstone. We're both pretty smart, and if we played enough, you know, we could potentially be a competitive Hearthstone player. Yeah. Right. And I mean, and there are players of huge numbers of online games. I mean, Fortnite, let's just talk about that yeah. one briefly, you know, which are paid and paid large amounts of money for their ability to play video games. So do you, do you, do you have a risk at some point or just like, you know, what about college students who are on music scholarships and they start putting stuff out on YouTube? You know, there's no NCAA governing music scholarship, so it's not quite the same issue. Yep. You know, there's no amateurism issue. But then that, that goes back to, do we, do we even need an NCAA anymore? Yeah. Well, let's get really geeky. What about the math team? Yeah. Or the chess team. Or the chess team. Um, you know, and, you know, I mean, the chess team is a good example because it's we're starting to see competitive chess becoming a little more mainstream. And you've in, seen talk of chess and things like that becoming maybe Olympic-level competitions. Yeah. And so you kind of bump into that. Wait, wait a minute. Is there another pressure between where's amateur and where's professional? Um, and you know, and I always remembered it. I always learned that you know amateurs weren't paid; professionals were. That yeah. was the that was the, the the dividing line. What we're really seeing now is the fact that it's not clear where that lies because it's not like you're necessarily being paid directly anymore. And again, this is where I think YouTube is a great example. You know, if I'm putting advertising revenue up on my own YouTube stream, I'm not technically being directly paid. Mm-hmm. I'm being the you know the, it's I'm being paid based upon just hits based upon sort of the fact that I happen to be popular. The advertiser doesn't necessarily know that that's me, you know, mm-hmm. that that's generating those hits, but that's what's generating those hits. Um, they're just paying for hits, and so it's a really interesting thing where I think you get into this now, where we've we've really seen a sort of smashing up of revenue models. We've seen a smashing up of, of the idea of identity, recognizing that right of publicity when sort of these laws were all written and all created was very, very particular. Was it a TV ad? Was it a radio ad? Was it a print ad? The you issues know, were simpler. It was easier much to simpler define. and easier to find. Now we're really bumping into the fact that we're saying, hey, you can have a publicity which isn't involved in an ad because ads may be associated with it. What does it mean to, to be professional? What does it mean to not be professional? You know, anybody can put ads in their own stuff. People will pay it. people to put ads in their own stuff. 
where is this going? And and I think that's the the thing we've really seen with it. Again, I think that's you know to recognize we just scratched the surface here. We talked about one particularly interesting case, and I think you know it, it is an interesting case, and it's an interesting case for what may happen in the future. It's interesting because in part because it got litigated twice over two different issues. These yeah. kind of things often get you know papered over and solved and wrapped up in in a way that does not require or or sometimes specifically avoids a judge ever issuing a decision yeah. on it. Because we've talked before, sometimes people don't actually want answers to these questions. I think. The other thing with it is, is is that you also have again sort of treating these things is it's we really have three parties here that are involved yeah. and really more than three parties but three direct parties where they're all interest their, their interests are all at odds with each other and basically the court cases you see two of them going after each other and again that's why I sort of mentioned that you know in in a, most scenarios had the end of the first case of this the second one never would have happened mm-hmm. because. Everybody was willing to agree with what was happening in the first case. Quite frankly, the first case never would have gone to trial because this just would have been willing buyer, willing seller. There would have been a contract. This would have been over. But you bumped into the fact that basically we couldn't do this thing that everybody wanted to do. You almost kind of look at it and say the two parties in the first case were almost on the same page with each other. They almost, they almost weren't disagreeing. They were yeah. you know, because they had to. But they kind of weren't disagreeing yeah. what they wanted Players the law to be. Players were telling EA, you need to pay us. And EA, was, EA basically said at the end, yeah, we, sh- we will. Yeah. And and but they couldn't. Yeah. It's such a bizarre situation. It really is a bizarre situation. And just to sort of follow up, you mentioned this fact that, you know, there's there may be some more of this in the future. Well, yeah, and, and this it's kind of a a version of something we've talked about before, which is that a lot of our laws, you know, laws tend to be I more and more I conceive of the laws as B2B or or B2C, are the business to business laws that are meant to regulate commerce between sophisticated capable actors, or are they remedial or consumer protection laws meant to prevent, you know, people who can't advocate for themselves from being taken advantage of. And, you know, the Copyright Act we've mentioned before. The, the nature of the remedies and the rights is, is not really designed for you know for the music industry, for example, to go sue people who are pirating software. It was meant to prevent other music companies from from pirating their software. Companies that can actually afford to pay one hundred and fifty million dollars, you know, in uh, one hundred fifty thousand dollars in statutory damages. But what good does that big you know heavy hammer do against you know a single mother in Minneapolis? Yeah. Okay. So she so she's, she downloaded fifteen movies. Uh, great, you know. So, so you, so you got a two million dollar judgment. She's just going to declare bankruptcy. You're never going to yeah. collect it. Um, so, we we do see the law sort of, if not necessarily in the letter, at least in practice, treating different groups of of claimants or plaintiffs differently depending upon the purposes of the law and, and defendants for that matter. And, and here we see again. You know, there's a difference between being a professional athlete and different and an amateur athlete. But that in this case, the instance doesn't really derive from legal um, requirements specifically. It's because you've got this private organization inserted into the amateur side, but its analog in the professional side doesn't impose this limitation. Yeah, and again, part of the reason we look at that is say because what they're doing is they're imposing a moral or a policy limitation, which really, you know, the law is not designed to regulate. You know, it will do it when it's told. This is what the outcome is supposed to be. Congress could come out and say, uh, we are going to forbid any public university that receives federal funding from participating in the NCAA (laughs) or any of its activities. Note that he receives federal funding. Maybe the Commerce Clause can. So so USC, actually, you know, all the private schools will still be in there. They still do. Um, But yeah, but, you know, that's going to be their jurisdictional hook. We forbid you from participating until and unless X. And X will be whatever compensation arrangements they want to have for the student athletes. Congress could step in and fix this. Um, And really, a state could too. I mean, these Schools get funding from the state, so yep. all it would take is Texas to step up and say, "Nope, we're not doing it anymore." 
But it wouldn't be Texas. It had to be Alabama because that's what everybody cares about <laughs> well, now. Well, it, I, I think any one of them could do it. Yeah. But the other thing I think you see with this, and, and you mentioned this, is it may not be the end for college football games. And we may see football games coming out, which yes. now look like college football games, but don't necessarily look like players. Yeah, so there, there is um, uh, a game that's, I think, coming out called Gridiron Champions. It's supposed to come out in to- uh, 2020. Uh, that's supposed to fill this void, and they're going to get around this likeness uh, rights issue by just having the the, the players all be uh, generic um, generic teams, generic players. Then they don't need licenses from the schools, but I will not be at all surprised if when this comes out, there is a team located in Johnson County, Iowa, that happens to wear black and gold, and then you can get third-party download packs and skins produced by others who are not associated <laughs> with the game manufacturer that slap Iowa's logos on it or, you know, or, or, or insert your team of choice here. So, yep. This, this may be just an even more roundabout way to do that. We'll have to kind of keep an eye on that and, and see what happens. And I think the interesting thing about this is we've seen – it's not like this is new. I mean, I remember, no. you know, I had an in-television when I was a kid, and, I mean, there was a football game, and if I'm correctly, it was red and blue, and they were home and visitor always. Like, yep. the, the, the one color was always home, one color was always visitor, and you always played home. That was the Did you remember option. Double Dribble on the Nintendo, the original <laughs> Nintendo? It was basically the Bulls, the Celtics, the Lakers, and somebody else. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, was, it was a red team from Chicago. I mean, it was really obviously the same teams. I forget Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, the – the players were, you know, blocks. Yeah. I mean, because that yeah. was the quality of the, the yeah, graphics. The, the that animation point in time. Was, was very bad. Um, and so, yeah, you, you know, we're, we're getting into again accuracy as to what it is. And I think the other thing with it is and just one that I think is fundamental with this. We're talking about rights of publicity here, especially for American football. Players who are identified by their equipment. And we're really looking at the idea that says, you know, if you can, in many respects, make a football player that's literally empty equipment. You know, it's just the helmet, the jersey, <laughs> things like that. There, there's no person in it. But the fact is, is that would still potentially be identifiable mm-hmm. um, because of number, because of, you know, particular logos and colors of the, skin, of the teams. This is probably only going to get more interesting. Yeah, it's definitely not going to get less. Um, I mean, and, and well, and there's you know there's there's other considerations too with the TV networks and whatnot getting involved. So I, I think probably the the next major shift, at least in college sports, as far as these rights go, is, is probably a ways off yet, maybe five years in the horizon when the next set of TV contracts all get renegotiated, and uh, we'll see if the money goes up or down. If it keeps going up, at some point, you know, this is more of a policy setting issue. But you talk to anybody who's involved uh, on the fan level in college sports, and there's a, a I've seen people. People who used to be very much against paying players have now said in the wake of these cases, there's so much money involved. These kids work so hard. I know they're getting a free education, and that's that's not nothing, certainly as much as college costs these days, but uh, they deserve more. And uh, people who I've, I never thought would have said that are now coming around and saying these pay- payers just need to get compensated. Now, whether that's because they just want to play EA NCAA football 2019 <laughs> or not, I couldn't tell you. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, the the public sentiment seems to be shifting on this, and if we know nothing else about a democracy, uh, ch- changes in law often follow. So we'll, yep. we'll see what happens. I have an announcement. We are wizards. We are Jedi. We can see the future. <laughs> we can see the future. So we did an episode in November of last year talking about why um, the Electronic Arts uh, college football game was no longer being made. So we're going to play a clip from that episode for you in just a second. It's 40, uh, 70 seconds long. But to provide the content uh, context, Kirk and I had discussed that the courts had, you know, a year or two prior, actually quite a ways prior, uh, ruled that um, electronic arts use of college athlete likenesses uh, in the video game was not a fair use. And that EA had to get permission and, uh, you know, pay for it. Yep. Uh, the NCAA had stepped in and said uh, – and EA said, okay, 
we'll do that. Yeah. But the NCAA stepped in and said, if the athletes accept these payments, uh, they are receiving compensation related to their uh, performance, which violates the NCAA's amateurism principle. Yep. And the athletes would then be ineligible to uh, compete under the NCAA's uh, rules. So the issue was not that the law doesn't allow players to receive compensation. Uh, quite to the contrary, it practically <laughs> it requires, requires it. it. Uh, the issue is that this private organization, the NCAA, has forbidden it. So here's the clip. Uh, and again, this is us talking in November of last year. You know, there's a difference between being a professional athlete and different and an amateur athlete. But that in this case, the instance doesn't really derive from legal um, requirements specifically. It's because you've got this private organization inserted into the amateur side, but its analog in the professional side doesn't impose this limitation. Yeah. And again, part of the reason we look at that is say because what they're doing is they're imposing a moral or a policy limitation, which really, you know, the law is not designed to regulate. You know, it will do it when it's told this is it what could, the outcome is right? supposed to be. Congress could come out and say, uh, we are going to forbid any public university that receives federal funding from participating in the NCAA <laughs> or any of its activities. No, these receives um, federal funding. Yes. We need a commerce clause. Yeah, so, so U.S. Actually, you know, all the private schools will still be in there. They still do. Um, but yeah, but you know, that, that's going to be their jurisdictional hook. We forbid you from participating until and unless X. And X will be whatever compensation arrangements they want to have for the student athletes. Congress could step in and fix this. Um, and really, a state could too. I mean, these schools get funding from the state. So yep. all it would take is Texas to step up and say, nope, we're not doing it anymore. But it wouldn't be Texas. It had to be Alabama because that's what everybody cares about <laughs> well, now. Well, it, I, I think any one of them could do it. Yeah. Okay, so it wasn't Texas or Alabama, it was <laughs> I California. I was the one right. I got the, I got the other states. Of course, I had 48 of them, and you only had two. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I should have gotten longer odds on that. <laughs> on that What's the payout? Uh, so, so two questions that are interesting about this. So one, the question that, that nerds care about, does this mean EA, NCAA football is back? Well, and then two, why California? I think the first thing we should potentially do is just summarize a little bit of what California said. Yeah. Um, they didn't quite do what I thought they were going to do. They basically just passed a law. It's not connected to funding at all. They just passed a law that says nobody will will be ineligible for competition in any um, sports competition or athletic competition, not by the school, not by the state, not by the NCAA or any other collegiate organization. Nobody, No athlete in California can be rendered ineligible by reason of having accepted compensation for the use of their likeness. Yep. Yeah, so the, the real key about this is, is in some sense it targeted this exact question, you know, that we're looking at, the idea of likeness as use. But I think, yeah, the question we had in the case for all sports geeks is, does this mean we're going yeah. to see Electronic Arts NCAA football coming back? And it's, I think it's possible because the, this, this California law does not say that the schools have to pay the players. We don't have that going on. There, it's basically just saying if, if, the, you know, if you have a player at USC and someone at the local car dealership wants to put them in a commercial and pay them $5,000 for it, they can, and the player cannot be held ineligible to compete because of that arrangement. Yep. And so I think, you know, practically speaking, the, the, you know, nationally, this might affect a half dozen players. I mean, there aren't that many college athletes that are famous enough on a national level to make this worth anybody's while. Yep. I would think locally, there's probably, a, you know, two, three, maybe a half dozen kids at each school who might be able to get on and do a local commercial for your local burrito joint or you know, along those lines, or, yeah. Or whatever. Uh, you, you people from Iowa, you know, Poncheros, line them up. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so, but I mean, as far as the EA football goes, I think this this is a domino that has to fall for that to come back. Yeah. But there's a ways to go yet, right? Because you know this is just California; it's just students in California. So now we see other states are rushing to get legislation put together so they're not at a at a competitive disadvantage to California. Uh, and the NCAA, their hand has now been forced. They're going to have to do something. And I think 50-50 odds, whether they come up with some sort of um, regulatory or rules compromise yep. that allows this to go forward versus they sue California on some ground yep. and say that the, the rule is unenforceable. No, I think the key thing you got to keep in mind here is, you know, this is not the NCAA saying this. This is California, California. saying this. And There's, the NCAA <laughs> can still say, well, you're still ineligible to participate under NCAA, yeah. NCAA rules with any of our things and basically just kick all the California schools out of the NCAA. Yeah, I, of- I haven't quite thought through how this will interact because the NCAA is not the government. It's no. just uh, this organization, right? So they've got a rule that says to compete in our competitions, you can't do this. And California saying, well, in California, it's illegal to say you can't do that. So what does that mean? <laughs> does that mean that the NCAA rules just don't apply to games played within the borders of California? What happens if USC is playing Notre Dame at Notre Dame? Like, <laughs> yeah. like d- does that matter? I, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to play yeah, out. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. And that's the biggest thing I think we had sort of for the question from it is, you know, while it's an interesting domino to fall, the exact implications of what the next domino is going to be. It's got to be the NCAA. Yeah, is, is a very interesting question. I know that they're doing like working groups, I think, now to figure out how they're going to respond to this and what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal as far as how it's going to impact collegiate athletics. But for EA football, there's still a logistical problem. Let's just assume that the NCAA comes up with a rule that says, okay, fine. Basically, we'll say what California said, that that you know, merely monetizing your likeness rights, yep. that by itself is not enough to render you ineligible. You still got the problem of, you know, this is not like the NFL where you just go to the players union, which already has all these license right, these rights licensed to it, yep. and say, okay, we'll take a license. How do you go get all the permission from all these kids to do this? Because EA was before relying on fair use. They don't need permission from anybody. They just say we're allowed yeah. to do it. Well, it's not fair use. Now they have to have permission. The court said that they have to have permission, and they agreed effectively to say we will get permission, but logistically they don't have permission yet. Yeah. So, th- so then does the NCAA, you know, do they act as that body? Do they say, okay, so for purposes of mass right licensing, all of you need to assign your likeness rights to us as part of the conditions for play, um, at least to the extent of you know national licensing for for this kind of thing. You can retain your likeness for any other use. Like, there's there's a way to sort of slice and dice that. Yeah. And I just I can't imagine a situation where the NCAA doesn't continue to insert itself in the middle of yeah, this process. Yeah, I mean, they've got to obviously, and then maybe make a little coin on the side. Yeah, and it. I've got to, I got to also wonder it's the you know exactly how it's going to be. They can't be ineligible to do it. Is the NCAA going to respond back to something that says, well, you have to license your likeness rights to us to play an NCAA And then they'll distribute the royalties. Game, and then they distribute the royalties not to the students, but to some sort of general you know, organization. I can see that kind of thing coming, so we're going to general scholarship fund. I think fund. they probably need to set up a separate organization to do that. Managing royalties is, is well outside the NCAA's <laughs> well, yes. expertise. I don't know. I mean, maybe they do that already, but I don't. They're basically turning into like the copyright royalty board, you know, yeah. at this point. Um, but for amateur athletics, I kind of feel like they want outsource that to a specialist organization that knows how to handle it, can get the model because the rules all, this is all state law. These rules yeah. all vary state to state. And I think that's the biggest thing we're going to see potentially as a bump in this is that every state is potentially going to come up with its own law that may or may not mirror California in substantial respects, in all respects, in no respects. 
And that's, I think, where we're also going to then bump into it is yep. it's from an NC, you know, the NCA kind of needs to jump on this early to say, hey, we're going to try to implement this nationally. Therefore, states, you don't need to pass these kind of laws yeah, we'll because just we're just voluntarily it, doing yeah. it. And now we don't have to deal with a patchwork law. as So again, when we look at it and sort of say, hey, this is the first domino falling, I think the answer is yes, it probably is the first domino falling. I think there's another lawsuit that has to happen before this is all done. Like whatever yep. the NCAA comes up with, somebody is going to sue them over it, yep. whether it's the athletes or the schools or, or, or a state. Somebody's going to, yeah. there's one more dispute to be resolved, which is going to be whether the NCAA solution to this is acceptable. I think there will also be a potential challenge of the NCAA actually challenging California by just simply doing something. Again, whether it's setting an organization or even saying California schools cannot play yep. uh, because of this, which will result in a second lawsuit between NCAA and the state of California, um, which, you know, quite frankly, I'm not sure would be a particularly difficult legal issue to resolve, depending on exactly what it is. Yeah. But it may just be a necessary step to have a court step in and say, you can't do this to the NCAA. You know, so in some sense, the NCAA is saving face of saying, hey, we said you couldn't do this. We don't like people doing this, but the court now says we have to, so now we're going to. I feel like the NCAA may be at maximum like political fragility at this point with all the investigations going on with basketball, <laughs> uh, with some of the, the negative things that have happened in collegiate sports. Um, I, the, I mean, I, I don't have a strong opinion on the NCAA one way or the other. I, I truly do not. But my perception, I listen to a lot of sports podcasts, and it is not a beloved organization by fans. Yeah. Uh, you know, schools are very careful because it's basically a consortium of schools, so it, it is them. Yeah. Um, the players try not to badmouth it, but I, you know, the 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 general attitude towards the NCAA is is, is not not generally positive, and I think they're probably aware of that, and we'll be careful with how they yeah. play their hand. I, I think here. you generally have an issue of just the, you know, we talked about this in the prior episode too as well, that the so much of, of amateur sports is just not necessarily making sense anymore. You know, it makes sense in a lot of areas, but particularly when you start talking about basketball, football, you know, these Football's the main one because you have to play in college. I mean, the college yeah. system is the farm league for the NFL, whereas yeah. in basketball, you can go straight through to, you know, the NBA and skip college and baseball. You know, if, yeah. if you're playing baseball in college, you're not going pro already, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how it is. Particularly with the, with the sports where you look at the, that they have, you know, wide television coverage, that there's, you know, sort of wide following of the collegiate level sports, not just of alumni and stuff like that, but of every school, you know, we've got this problem this being heavily monetized sort of to the disadvantage of the workers. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, which is being the, the student athletes participating in this and that being just an issue of, yeah. you know, hey, th there's a problem here. We recognize the fact that there's a potential problem here. What are we going to do about it? And I think that's why the SCA, NCAA literally is walking on fragile ground right now. You know, you talk about, you know, NCAA, you know, fencing, I don't think you have any kind of is these kind of issues because in many respects it's you know they're, they're not making the kind of money they're yeah. not going to get the interest in their likeness rights that these other things are so we can almost look at this and say it's a fault of the consumer and the fact that we've become so entitled to watching collegiate sports on you know on our yep. TVs that has created this problem and we're only watching certain collegiate sports at the same time we have and we can't go back from that it's not yeah. like people are going to suddenly stop watching the you know Final Four just because you know it's not necessarily good for everybody yeah the, the other domino to fall here are that the, the colleges and the conferences also withdrew uh, their licenses to EA for the use of the team names and logos and things like that. Now, that was in response to all the uncertainty around these lawsuits. Yeah. So, presumably, if this all gets worked out, I can't imagine the colleges saying, well, we don't want that money. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah I believe the schools are going to license them and they're going to take the money as to whatever. And, you know, for a lot of schools, quite frankly, it's probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, Unless this gets money. worked out way more quickly than I think is likely, I think we're probably at least a couple of years off before it's sufficiently sorted 
sorted out that yeah. that EA can really get back to to putting anything out. Yeah, well, so. even if they get if they sorted it out this year, it'd be the next season before they could really do a game anyway. So. So the second question, why California? I mentioned Texas for obvious reasons. Football is king in Texas. Yeah, Alabama. Alabama. Um, but it came it came out of California of all places. And while California has a lot of you know college football talent, none of the programs out there are especially good at football right now. Cal yeah. is bad. UCLA is bad. Stanford's bad. Uh, USC is <laughs> not even that good. Yeah. Like, they're they're all kind of not good. The the Pac twelve conference out there is kind of not good and hasn't been for a couple years. Um, why does California care so much? And I've got two theories on this. <laughs> One is that the company that makes EANCAA football and therefore makes revenue off it and pays state income tax off of it is situated in Santa Monica, California. Yeah. So uh, if I'm California, I kind of want them to make and sell this product and to pay taxes on the revenue they make off of it. Uh, the other reason, um, someone actually mentioned this to me this morning, um, Most the, the, the California law expressly allows the use of talent agents by these athletes to manage their likeness rights, which is a good idea. It yeah. reduces the chances of them being taken advantage of, at least in theory. Uh, Kirk, if I were to ask you which state has the largest concentration of talent agencies, where would you guess that I is? I would probably guess the traditional home of where the movie industry is, which would probably be California. California, right? So, so yeah, I, I don't think, I mean, this is a little bit of a cynical view, but I don't think it's a coincidence that a state that largely doesn't care that much about sports uh, like this has nevertheless passed a law that happens to benefit two significant industries that are located in that yeah. state. So, uh, good, good on you, California. You're going to force everybody's hand, and those of us who love playing this game are all grateful, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's a cynical view to this, too, which is yes, a exactly. shallow cash grab. And again, I think it's not like they're the only ones who are going to benefit. I think that potentially a lot of states, a lot of schools are going to benefit well, the coming out should of benefit this. Too, right? I mean, as well. This Local may be state. a nice middle ground between you know the schools flat out paying them and uh, and allowing the, the more uh, well-known kids to, to profit. Yep. So. All right, so there you have it. You are now refreshed on this topic, and we'll probably come back and revisit this at some point in a, in a broader context than sports, looking at this in at, uh, at video games and other similar sort of emerging um, entertainment industries more broadly. So, so anyway, there you go. Thanks for listening, as always, and we'll talk to you soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri. 